All right. So, uh, I guess let's start with a word of prayer before we get started. I need prayer. Lord, thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you for sending your son um, to tend to us, to take care of us. We praise you. We pray that um, we would learn something from your word today and that we would be encouraged to go and do as your son has done. In Jesus' name, amen. So with keeping with uh, what Stephen says every time he comes up at 9.30 is, this is more of a, a teaching opportunity than a preaching opportunity, uh, and we can learn some practical things at the 9.30. Hopefully we learn practical things all the time and spiritual things all the time, but this is a little bit more focused to how-to's. So, how to tend to your garden. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, and to start, I think it's important that we start with motivation. That's where I usually start things. Um, the why. Why do you do something? Why is it important? And uh, after that, obviously, if you figure out that it's important to tend to your garden, well, how do you know where your garden is, Right? Um, it may be, seem obvious if you walk outside your door and there's your garden, you know where it is. Uh, but guess what? There's property line disputes all the time. And uh, even, especially when something is not right in front of your face, it's hard to know where your specific garden is. So we're going to identify your garden, and then we're going to learn how to tend to our gardens. And this is not comprehensive. Um, but it's a good first stab at it. So, why is it important? First and foremost, it's important to know how to tend to your garden um, because God's assigned us to a garden. And when I mean a garden, um, it's going to become clear throughout this sermon what I mean more specifically, but just to give you an idea, this is your sphere of influence. Your garden is wherever you've been assigned to to do God's work, okay? Right? Because um, newsflash, you aren't in charge of taking care of the entire world. No matter what Western culture has told you that you can change the world, uh, maybe start with changing yourself, <laughs> right? So that's what we're going to talk about. And so when I'm saying garden, I'm talking about where you have influence or responsibility. And so God gives us responsibility. He gives us like our own sphere of influence. Right? And we see that in Genesis 1.28 and Genesis 2.8. So first, Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So remember when I just said, maybe you heard when you were a kid that you can change the world. I see it in movies plenty. My parents never told me that, but <laughs> I definitely see it in Western movies enough that I know it's a thing out there that kids are told all the time, you can change the world. Right now, that's the narrative of, like, if you recycle, you'll save the whole world from global warming, right? Well, God just told Adam and Eve that they were going to fill the whole earth and subdue it. That's a tall order. And to be fair, that's also what God's commanded for us. But if we go further into Genesis 2.8, we see that the way God goes about it is a little different than maybe how we would think of it. Okay. So Genesis 2.8, the Lord planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. So not only does God assign us this massive task of filling the whole earth, basically making the whole earth a garden, right? 
But then practically how he does it is he assigns Adam and Eve to a specific spot in a garden. He's already started the work for them. And he put them in a specific location and told them, start here. Right? That's where the work started, was in Eden. So we've got these grandiose ideas that we're going to change the world. And so the first thing we've got to do is get as much reach as possible. We've got to go out into the world right away. And we haven't even taken care of what's right in front of us. So God assigns us to our gardens. This is super important. If God does something, he's got a plan behind it. He doesn't do things willy-nilly, right? He's chosen each and every one of us, and he chose where we were going to be born, when we were going to be born, to what families we were going to be born, on purpose. None of us here are an accident. We weren't born in the wrong time. We weren't born in the wrong location. God's put us where we are for a purpose. Right? So, it's, if it's important to God, it should be important to us. The next reason why it's important to, to know where our garden is and how to tend to it is it's important to prioritize. Because again... If I tell you, you got to fix the whole world, um, like, think of why Santa Claus is such a, such a fairy tale, right? I don't know how any kid can understand, be like, oh, he makes it around the world in one night, you know? That's kind of like a crazy idea. That's a lot of work for one guy to do, okay? <laughs> and that's where, like, the magic comes in, right? Is you're thinking... If he's going to do this impossible thing, there's only one way he can do it through magic. It's not possible in reality. Um, We only have so much time in the day. And we only have so many years in our lives. We only have so many resources, right? I don't think anyone here is a kajillionaire. I don't think that's a real number. But even our government's in debt right? They don't have limitless money, no matter how much they print, okay? So we have limitations, and because of those limitations, we need to prioritize with our time, talents, and treasures. Galatians 6, 2 through 5 says, bear one another's burdens, okay, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ, For if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting, but to himself alone and not to another. For each one will bear his own load. So what I'm seeing here, I think it's a maybe not immediately obvious what is being said here. What I'm seeing here is like, Okay, yes, we want to bear one another's burden, right? You see a brother or sister in Christ who needs help. They need your time. They need your talents. They need your resources, right? Go to them and help them, right? That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing to help each other out, right? It's not a bad thing to sacrifice what you have to help someone else. But then I see a a but, right? which is first examine your own work, okay? Before you go and help your brother or your sister, ask yourself, have you done your work yet? Is your job done yet? Right? It's the put the mask on yourself before you put it on someone else principle, okay? Right, right. Um, You need to examine your own work before you give of your time to someone else. Have you taken care of your garden before you go out and start taking care of other people's gardens? Because each of us will bear his own load. 
God has put us in charge of our garden, and he's given us a job. And if you haven't done your job saying, well, I was too busy helping everybody else, that's not a good enough excuse. If you're like, I was, you know, here's another Western trope that I see a lot is, uh, I don't know if anyone's ever had a friend like this, but I have, um, where they're always the one giving like advice, and they think they give really good advice, but their life is in shambles, right? It's like, why are you going to listen to someone whose life is a mess? And, you know, it's the, it's the single person always giving advice on relationships. You know what I mean? It's silly, right? They need to take care of their own stuff before they go and start trying to help everybody else, Right? They need to cover, like Kyle said, they need to get rid of the log in their eye before they go start looking for specks in everybody else's eyes. God's given us a job, and if we don't prioritize, uh, if we're out there, even, like, this is best case scenario. You're using your time to help other people. That's still not a good excuse not to get your work done. It's still not a good excuse for your garden to go to shambles, for your for the people you're responsible to get left behind because you're helping someone who's, who you're not responsible for, right? When I was uh, younger, when I was in school and I was broke, I knew I could not be a generous person with my money because if I was out there, I was giving my money to help pay for other people's meals and then I had to turn right around and ask for someone else to cover my meal, that didn't make sense to me. That's just money changing hands, right? If you can't feed yourself, you shouldn't be feeding other people. Does that make sense? That gave me great motivation to graduate and start earning money so that I could be generous. So, next thing, we shouldn't interfere with other people's gardens. We need to know where our garden is so we don't step on someone else's toes. Okay? 1 Thessalonians 4.11 And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we instructed you. Okay? There's a tendency that we like to, to forget about our garden and how well we're doing with our stuff and look into what other people are doing and say, Maybe they could do this better or they could do that better and we become busybodies and uh, we're stepping on people's toes. We're interfering with them, right? This is, this is uh, where I've seen this before is like a grandparent who, you know, they parented you and they have all this experience, which is great. Uh, and they come over and they're, they're with you and you tell your kids to do something or you're trying to parent in a certain way. And then the grandparent comes in and they try and parent your kids and they contradict you. That's not helpful, right? Because the parent is in charge of the child, not the grandparent, right? Now that they're just confusing the kid, uh, the, the grandparent isn't spending day and night with this child they can give them ice cream all they want, but they're not going to be the ones trying to deal with the temper tantrum when they come off their sugar high, <laughs> right? It's not fair for uh, someone who it's not their job to come in and start poking around in somebody else's business. It steps on people's toes. This is, uh, you could say this about siblings too, right? Um, like siblings aren't in charge of each other unless the parents give them authority to do that, right? It's not fair for a a sibling, even if they're an older sibling, to come in and start telling the other one what they should and shouldn't do. That's not their job, right? It's, let me think of a better example here. I see this all, okay, I got a good one here. Someone has graciously offered to cook you a meal right? Now they're cooking you a meal, and you come into the kitchen, 
and start critiquing them on how they're cooking your meal? How would you respond if someone came, you offered to cook them a meal, you, you're doing this great thing for them, and they come in and they start telling you how to do it better? How are you going to respond? <laughs> Probably not well, right? Uh, if they wanted, my, my response is always, if you want to tell me how to cook the meal, you should have just cooked it yourself. <laughs> that's, that's how I respond, okay? So this is, it's, it causes confusion when we're stepping on each other's toes. It causes strife and conflict, and a lot less gets done. Because if two people are doing one job, uh, that's what I like to call government work, Right? When things overlap with each other and people are start doing, you got like five people doing one job. It's inefficient. People are going to have conflict. Uh, there's not going to be one stream of thought. And things just don't turn out as well. So we have our own garden, and it's important we know where that is, where, our, where the, the edge of our property line is, where the edge of our sphere of influence is, because we can't be getting in other people's way. And we can't be getting, this goes back to prioritizing. If we're getting in other people's way, we're not taking care of our own stuff. So, now that we know it's important, how are we going to know where our garden is? Location, location, location. <laughs> um, this, is, this should be very obvious. Remember, we read Genesis 2.8, where it says, The Lord God planted a garden... And he placed the man in the garden. I said God ordained and he assigned us to a specific location, a specific time, and a specific people. He put us where we are for a reason. For whatever life events, we're here for a reason. Okay? And so we should start with what's closest to us. I'll ask you this, um, is it easier, and you can respond, is it easier for you to go evangelize to someone in China or to evangelize to your next door neighbor? Is it? <laughs> I'll tell you what, uh, I don't know if you've traveled recently, traveling's no fun, Okay. Um, and, and if you're trying to go to China right now, I don't know what the, all the rules are still with COVID and all that stuff, but I know it's not necessarily easy for people to come and go to China. Let's talk about North Korea. Is it easier for you to go to North Korea to evangelize to someone, or is it for you to just go down the street and, and tell someone about Jesus? Is it easier to tell someone in the grocery store about Jesus? Yeah, okay, thanks. <laughs> For the record, Stephen has changed his answer from China to your next-door neighbor. Okay. <laughs> so you don't need to pick up your life, and, and this is kind of... Um, I see a lot of people get really zealous and excited for the Lord, and this is good. And then the first thing they want to do is go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that's good. That's the end goal, right? We, end goal, we want to make it to the whole world. We want the whole world to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. That's, what he's, that's the big goal plan that he's set before him and before us. Little goal is he said, start in Judea. He says, start in the city that you're like we're already in, and then we go out. So I've seen, I've seen men who get really zealous for the Lord, and they go out, and they're doing missions, trips, and uh, conferences, and all these kind of crazy crusade things all around the world, and their family is home, and they don't have a dad around. That's a big mistake. Because it's easier, and you're going to be way more effective spending 
all your time with your children, teaching them about the Lord. Teaching your, you know, washing your wife in the word. That's way easier than going and trying to talk to people over here and people over there and do this. And I got five minutes in, in this city and then I'm flying to another city. And, and you're going to see miracles. You're going to see really great things. Um, but if you're just getting five minutes with someone, that's not enough to change their life. That's not enough to, that's enough to plant a seed. That is not enough to grow a plant, to grow a tree. Growing trees take time. They take careful planning. They take attention. And you got to be there to see what's going on. And so if you've got a garden, if you've got a place that God has put you, start where is closest. The next thing is, Start with what God's gifted you in, right? 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. I don't want anyone to get like uh, too big of a head, but God has given each of us special gifts talents, skills, things that, you know, we, we look at people and say, they're natural at this, they're natural at that. Well, we're all natural at, at something. God's given us skills in some area, something we're good at. And uh, nothing is harder to watch than watching someone who is uh, really untalented just try and tough something out, <laughs> right? If, more specifically, untalented at the specific thing they're trying to do, right? Uh, I don't know if anybody's seen the movie Rudy. It's a good movie. It's a football movie. So you got this kid who he's like, oh, I don't know, five foot nothing, small guy, and his family loves football, and it's his dream to play for Notre Dame, the football team uh, at Notre Dame. And he just works hard and hard and hard, and finally he gets in one game, and everyone's cheering for him that he, like, makes one tackle, right? Uh, but then he's got all these other guys that are on the team that don't even have to practice. They just show up, and they're good, right? That's an inspiring story, but imagine if Rudy found what he was actually talented in and did that. He'd be a whole lot more productive. Let's put it that way. Okay, so some of us are trying to uh, do this thing or, or the other, and we're not very talented at it. It doesn't come naturally, okay? And it's very unproductive. So what are you talented at? It's important to know what are your giftings, what's your, your skill set, right? If I'm, okay, uh, how do I put this? I'm not very good at organization. I know that. So I'm not trying to take over Anvesh's job of, of trying to organize Sunday services. Let me tell you that. <laughs> because I wouldn't do nearly as good of a job as he is. So the next thing is we need to know who relies on us, on ourselves, right? Like, Everyone has someone who relies on them, okay? And I can tell you this because at the very least, you rely on yourself to get up in the morning, right? It's your job to make sure you eat. No one else can tell you that you're hungry. <laughs> That's your job, right? Um, and if you can't, take care of yourself, then someone else has to take care of you. Right? So that takes us to our next thing, the seven institutions of government. And this is kind of, I guess you could say how big the circles of influence or how big the gardens kind of get. Okay? So first off, everybody has their own garden which encompasses themselves. Right? 
Everyone at least relies on themselves to tell them when they're hungry, to tell them when they need sleep, uh, to tell them about their own emotions. It always starts with yourself. Now the next thing is, say you got that. You can get yourself up in the morning. You can provide food for yourself. You've got enough money to make sure you have housing. Uh, you are um, growing in the Lord. You're, you're reading the Bible. You're uh, working through, like, how do I handle my emotions in a godly way that honors the Lord? And I'm recognizing where I'm coming up short in areas and growing in the Lord and seeking His face. And I've got that handled. The next thing is you're probably going to have a family at some point. If the Lord blesses you with a family. Or at least a family-like unit. People in like immediately around you who now you're making sure they, they have food. Not just yourself. You're covering for their food. You're making sure you're helping them work through their emotions. You're preaching the word of God to them, not just to yourself, right? You're tending to them as well as yourself. And this goes up. It goes further. You know, uh, you have a church. There's a reason why elders should be people who um, have, like, well-disciplined children, children who uh, love the Lord and, you know, at least listen and obey their parents. Because that means they're being well taken care of. You know, uh, a lot of kids, if they're acting out, it's because they're missing something from their parents. They're missing love. Their needs aren't being met. Emotional, spiritual, physical needs aren't being met. And that's why a lot of kids act up. But if they're being taken care of well, guess what? You're probably qualified. You could even be an elder. And now you've got a whole church of people that you're looking out for. Right? And that's, we do that as a church. We look out for people over widows and orphans. People who um, spiritually are dry because they're going through a hard season. People who need prayer. People who, who are having a hard time with their garden, we have elders and people to look out, to give, to sacrifice. But again, at each stage, if you're not taking care of the lower block, the whole, the whole tower collapses, okay? And this works all the way up to civil government, right? That's kind of the last and broadest sphere of influence. So I guess let's talk now about tending to your garden. Hopefully we can identify our gardens. Um, You know, going back to this thing, it's like a lot of it's pretty obvious and some of it's less obvious, but like if you're a parent, your first priority is to take care of your children. After you've taken care of yourself, your children are your garden. If you're an elder... Take care of yourself. Make sure you're spiritually healthy. That you're not starving or and you know dying because you're neglecting your own nutrition. <laughs> then you take care of your children, and then you take care of the church. And this builds. So once you figure out your garden, you need to tend to it. Um, but for the first thing I'd say is, this is, sounds like a lot, <laughs> and uh, when I first started thinking about this stuff, I kind of freaked out a little bit. I was like, oh no, how bad am I doing at taking care of the people around me? How bad am I doing at taking care of uh, what the Lord set in front of me? But I found a lot of comfort in remembering that if you take everybody's individual garden and put them together, 
They're all encompassed in God's garden. And he's taking care of us. He's tending to us. Matthew 6, 33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. Later on in Matthew eleven twenty nine through 30, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. If you follow my train of thought here, what the Lord's saying is, if we model our gardens after his, and if, if just as we set up the way we have people relying on us and coming to us, we take great care to observe, to, to watch them, to give them life. Um, when we get tired of that, when we get overburdened, when we get burnt out, which happens to us, right? I, remember, we are finite people. That means we have limitations, and eventually those limitations are going to catch up to us because we're not very efficient with even with what we have. And we don't have enough. When we get to that point, and even before then, we go to the Lord. The Lord's given us a garden, yes, but he's also, he's also our gardener. He's also looking after us. While we're concerned with taking care of ourselves and people around us and pouring life in, out into our gardens, the Lord's pouring life into us. And so we don't have to worry. We don't have to freak out that it'll become too much. I think a lot of us can look around us and say, you know, say... Someone uh, got married and had a kid before they were, you know, quote-unquote ready. Or they got put in a position at work where now, guess what, they're a boss. And they didn't expect to get there. And uh, they're doing really bad spiritually. We can be in that situation and we learn about what God's put in front of us, the responsibilities put in front of us, and we can kind of freak out and say, that's, a, that's too much. It's like all of a sudden, now I've got all this responsibility. Well, the Lord is responsible for you and for everything you set your hand to. And he's a good gardener, and he's jealous for you. He's jealous for his garden, and he wants it to look beautiful. So you don't have to freak out. Now, it's important to know that as we're in these gardens, I kind of mentioned the different levels. We looked at the seven institutions of government. Our gardens, the natural order of things is for them to get bigger. Remember, we have this huge goal, which is God's goal. He, you know, he has a garden, and his garden is the whole earth, and he said, we're going to fill the whole earth and take care of all of it. And we're going to start with you. I'm going to put you in this, this garden in Eden, and eventually my people will fill the whole earth, and it will all be a beautiful garden. So there's a gap there. There's this little tiny garden of Eden, and there's the whole earth, and how does it get filled? Well, um, we get more gardens, and the gardens grow, right? Let's look at Matthew 25, 14 through 30. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. God is the man about to go on a journey. We're the slaves. Scripture says we're slaves to righteousness. And this is a good thing. Because guess what? If you're a slave, uh, and in Scripture, 
God ordained that anyone who was a slave, they were treated like a member of a household. They basically, um, they were, they ate at the table, they were, you know, they were fed by their master, they were uh, housed by their master, he took care of them, they were his responsibility. So we are God's responsibility. So he entrusted his possessions to them. Now this is a unique thing, this is how you get that idea. Uh, Our Western idea of slaves and how slavery happened in the West was not this, it was not like this. He entrusted his possessions to them. To one, he gave five talents, to another, two, and to another, one, each according to his ability. So we're getting a picture here. God gave to each of his servants according to their ability. Right? He knew what their talents were. Right? He knew what their levels of responsibility, he knew how big their gardens were. Not only did he know his garden, he knew the, what the gardens of the people he was responsible for were like. Right? This is like when you go and you've got, say you've got three kids, one of them's 15, one's five, and one's one year old. Okay, You're going to require more of them as far as what their chores are. You're not going to ask a one year old to mow the lawn. Right? That'd be a mistake. First of all, they're not going to be able to do it. Second of all, uh, we won't get to the second of all. He gave to each according to their own ability. And God knows your ability. He's not going to give you more than you can handle. So he went on his journey. The one who received five talents immediately went and did business with them. Immediately. He was like, I know what to do. This is according to my ability. He did business and he earned five more talents. In the same way, the one who received two talents earned two more. But he who received the one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with the few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enjoy, enter the joy of your master. Also the one who had received the two talents came and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. I like to point out that the master's response to the one with five talents and the one with two talents was the exact same. He gave them according to their ability. And all they had to do was be faithful. All they had to do was be faithful. There wasn't some set limit. He wasn't like, I need five more talents. And if you don't get five more talents, then you weren't faithful. They just had to do according to their ability. So if you're starting out with a very small garden, being faithful with that is all that the Lord is looking for. He's just as pleased with you as as the person running a Christian nation, as he was with David. If David was faithful with the nation of Israel, he's just as faithful with the, he's just as pleased with the person who is faithful with getting up and showing up to work every day. Just as pleased. So now the one who had received the one talent also came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. And I was afraid, so I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you still have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You worthless, lazy slave. Did you know that I reap where I do not, did not sow and gather where I did not scatter seed? Then you ought to have put, 
You ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take the talent away from me, and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And throw the worthless servant into the darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So there's a big contrast here between people who were faithful and people who were unfaithful. And again, this guy, he had a very low, low bar. He just had to... The master is basically saying, even if you took it to the bank and I got interest on it, I would have been happy. But you dug a hole. You took the talents, the gifts that I gave you, and you hid it. And it's the same for us. We aren't off the hook. This isn't an option to take care of your garden, okay? We are servants to God. Servants to righteousness. He's given us a task, and there is no in-between. You either make an effort to do the task, or you don't. There's no like, I gave it my best shot, right? You, there's, he's saying even if your best shot was just putting it in the bank to gain interest, is doing something with what God's given you. But to squander that. That's the worst thing we could do. Is to take what the Lord's given us. He's given us skills. He's given us talents. And going back to location, location, location. All of us were born. Or we're at least living in the U.S. right now. Right? Not everyone was born here. But everyone lives here now. And there's a certain level of affluence that we have to be unable to be generous while living in America is an issue you're squandering something to be in a church with so many people who love each other and look out for each other's spiritual health, physical health, emotional health, and to not do that for others is squandering something. It is rare and unique to be in a church of so many people willing to sacrifice for each other. And if you're squandering that, that's an issue. If you can't love on other people because you've been loved on, you're wasting the possessions, the gift that God's given you. He's entrusted you with something. Just by being here. Just by being alive, you've been entrusted with something. And it's our job to figure out what we've been entrusted with and to be faithful to do something with it. So to, to end, some ways we can tend to our garden, the practical things and this just comes from how you would actually garden, is to start with observing. To, um, I talked about this recently at RCF. Uh, I've successfully kept a couple succulent plants alive for like several years, right? Uh, I decided I, I was able to keep myself alive for a couple years, so I thought I was ready to take the step and, and get a couple plants. Uh, <laughs> The way I've been able to keep them alive is by observing them, right? You see the, it's not really that hard. I didn't even have to Google it. You see the leaves wilting? They need water, okay? If that's not working and it's been a while, they probably need, they need new soil, right? Uh, maybe they're getting too big for the pot that they're in. Well, you need to move them to a different pot or to split it up. But it all started with seeing and noticing things. And that happens in your own life, right? With yourself first. 
You need to have eyes to see, oh man, I'm being very unkind to people. Why is that? Is it because maybe I'm bitter and I haven't forgiven some people? You need to have eyes to see that. If you're a parent, it's, it's looking at your kids and saying, man, they've been really extra like fearful lately. Maybe they've been having nightmares. Maybe I need to pray with them. Maybe I need to point them to Christ, right? It's seeing what's going on around you. If you have a garden, you need to see what's going on in your garden. Then it's pruning. If, if the reason you're being mean to people is because you haven't forgiven others, uh, guess what? Forgive them. That's pruning. That's taking care of it. If your child... Uh, How do you put mm. trying to think of a good example here? You know, maybe your child is being uh, rude to other kids. They're not playing very nice with other kids, right? Pruning would be disciplining them. And when I mean discipline, it's like don't just go straight to like, oh, we need to, to spank this out of them. It's sitting down with them. It's, it's working through, do unto others as you'd have them do, to, do unto you. It's pruning. It's helping them work through what they're missing. It's helping them work through, you know, the dead parts of their tree. And it's protecting. A good gardener doesn't let invasive, you know, bugs and... Uh, Animals come in and ruin their garden, right? If you've got a raccoon that keeps coming by or squirrels that keep coming by and eating your apples, get rid of the squirrels. <laughs> Protect your tree. Protect your garden. If your kid is, not, is, you know, maybe, okay, let's start with yourself. If you're bitter and unforgiving, maybe you need to start by uh, protecting your own heart from bitterness by how you talk about people. Because that's an easy way for bitterness to come into your heart is by talking wrong about people. If your kid is like having a really hard time with emotional regulation and all this stuff, maybe you need to protect them by like monitoring what they watch on TV. Helping set boundaries of bedtimes and things like that. You also need to give life. You need to water. What this is, is being proactive. Gardening isn't just reactive. It's proactive. It's pouring life into people. Even if your kid isn't going through like a really difficult time, you should still be reading the Bible with them. Right? You should still be pouring life into those around you. You know, if, if you want to talk about what the church does to water its people, uh, we don't just have a Sunday service when we feel like everyone's doing really bad. I mean, I guess you can make... Anyways, <laughs> that would be every Sunday. Uh, but we do it as a proactive thing. We're watering the church by doing this. We worship as, as, a, as a way to give life to the church. We don't wait and we're not just reactive. There's also an idea of organizing and this goes back to the idea of prioritizing, right? There's priorities. We uh, have, you know, priority number one is yourself. And if you don't have time to read the word and be, uh, if you're like running around spiritually dry all the time, you're not going to do a good job parenting. You're not going to do a good job pastoring. You're not going to do a good job uh, being a boss or a teacher. You're not going to do a good job gardening if you are struggling yourself. A sick gardener doesn't help a sick garden, right? 
So we prioritize, we organize things. It's like, okay, first I'm going to make sure I'm doing okay, so like, I've got to read the Bible. Uh, then I'm more, most worried about my children, so I'm going to live as closely as possible to my children. Guess what? That's in the same house, okay? <laughs> then I'm going to live as close as I can to the church after that, right? So you're probably not living in the church, but you're living not three hours away, right? That'd be silly. You can't do life if you're three, mi- or three hours away. And then hopefully you live somewhat close to your kid's school, right? And so on and so forth. That's how we order things. We organize things. If you see a garden, things are, are planned out properly so that like the beauty is maximized. You don't just put some plants here. You put some plants there. You put the plants where they get the, the right amount of sunlight they need, where they... Maybe you plant a certain plant with another because it protects from this bug. And this one protects from that bug. And if you put them together, they're protected from both bugs, right? I, I guess just to close, um, my heart in, in preaching on this is to know that we have been given a responsibility. We have a garden. There's people response that you're responsible for, even if it's just yourself. And God is judging whether you're faithful in that or not. He is. He's taking a look and seeing, are you being faithful with your garden? If not, your garden will be taken away from you and given someone given to someone who is. And that's, that's not the natural order of things. Gardens should grow. They shouldn't shrink. So, Lord, thank you for giving us gifts. Lord, thank you for giving us gardens. Thank you for giving us a purpose. Help us to be fruitful in that, Lord. Thank you that you're always watching us. You're always cleaning out our hearts and giving us life, Lord. Help us to be fruitful. Help us to earn the trust of those in our gardens and to pour life into them. In Jesus' name, amen.